Okay, so um, first of all, I just want to say that I found this awesome mug in the kitchen, which says, keep calm. So that's a good message to me. Okay, so whoever that is, I found it, I'm using it, but I just need some water. Um, this is such a privilege for me, really. I, I hope that it's a privilege for you guys by the end of this, but for me, it's, it's an amazing privilege that I get to be up here and get to um, just be a part of this series that we're going through. And so today we're actually continuing the, the series that Pastor Tom started a couple weeks ago, which is the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And we're just gonna be looking at some of the concepts that are in chapter three, which is looking back to go forward. And there's a lot that God has been doing in this message with me and um, is reading the chapter and is going through some of the stuff and and I hope that, uh, that God speaks to you through this. And just as a, as a little side funny thing, so I said to Clint, um, how much time do I have to speak? And he's like, 28 to 35 minutes. And I was like, 28, that's kind of random. <laughs> but then I did a dry run last night and it was 28 minutes and 59 seconds. So I was like, oh, okay, maybe that was a prophetic thing that Clint had there for me. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, let's just open up with some prayer because uh, we just need God to meet us today for this. So, Dad, I just thank you so much for this opportunity, for this privilege, Lord God. I pray that your words will be spoken through me today. And anything, Lord God, that isn't from you, I pray that that would just go to the wayside and that only what you want to speak would be remembered and would be heard. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Awesome. So today, um, the scripture that, that really came out of this chapter for me um, is from Exodus 20, verses 4 to 5. Um, and to read it says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is afflicted, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I will lavish unfailing love on a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. And when I read that, the first thing that came out to me from that was how true it is for me that I've seen things that have been generational that, that I've been affected by, you know, from, from a few generations back. And the better part of that is the unfailing love lavished on us for thousands of generations when we are, are obedient. And it's kind of reminding me a little bit actually of a, yes. Having to switch it up in the middle of talking, eh? <laughs> um, it reminded me of the Robert Frost poem. And he says, you know, there are two roads diverged in the forest, and I chose the one that was less traveled by. And to me, this verse is, is like that. There's two roads diverging, and we really get an opportunity of which, which road are we going to choose? Are we going to choose to let all of the, the junk stay with us, stay in our families? Or are we gonna switch it up? Are we gonna be a, a people who choose the road less traveled by 
and become a blessing for thousands of generations in our families. So, a couple of things that I, I wanted to go over with this was um, the cost of not looking back was the first part of this that really stuck out to me. And, and it says that, you know, the, the sins of the parents are afflicted to the children for the, to the third and fourth generation. And we don't have to look very far in the Bible to actually see that. It's, it's right there in Genesis. We see Abraham's family. And they are the perfect example of what happens when you fail to deal with the things and they carry forward. But they don't just carry forward in a, you know, I'll hand it off to you and it's exactly the same problem. They're, they compound. And that's, that's what happens. Our, the things can compound in our lives. They can compound to our children. And it becomes much, much worse as things go along. And so the, the starts with Abraham, and we see that he betrays his wife publicly twice. If you know the story behind that. So he says to her, say you're my sister when we go into this town so that they won't kill me. So he wants to, to keep clear of any danger for himself, and he's, he's in fact not trusting God with the promises that he's made to him. And he ends up having a son with a, a slave of theirs, which is another betrayal, raises two sons. The conflict of that has gone on till today. We see it in the Middle East now, that that generational sin has just continued and continued. And it passed down to Isaac. Isaac had, um, who was a son that he had with Sarah, repeats the public betrayal of his own wife, Rebecca, doing the exact same thing and saying, pretend you're my sister because I don't want to go into the situation and be in danger. Just, just compounding this, this sin. And he also has two sons with Rebecca and they become rivals and enemies. And if you continue reading in, in the Bible, you'll see that there's a, just this continued animosity between um, Esau's family, which is the Edomites, and Israel. And they're always in conflict with each other. Or they're always trying to get the best of each other. It's like they're aligning with their um, enemies against each other. And you just, this, this pattern has been forming now. You can see in the family, and it just, it's just snowballing. And Jacob, again, is the youngest son of Isaac. And with his two wives and two slaves. He has 12 sons and a daughter. And again, that's just a betrayal of your, your marriage. That's a betrayal of your marriage. And, and for him, with his first wife, Leah, and with his second wife, Rachel. And the unity in their family is completely affected by, by this stuff as well. Because if you know anything about the story of those 12 boys, there's a lot that goes on in there. There's a whole um, incident with the, the daughter, Dinah, and what the boys do about that. They become murderers, and they actually end up selling off one of their brothers. Now, I don't know about you. I have siblings. I've wanted to sell my brother. <laughs> I, I definitely thought that that would be fun to package him up and send him off to Timbuktu, which is a real place, by the way. 
But I never got around to it. Because even though there was some dysfunction, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> like, so I think that that proves anybody here who can say, I've had a sibling that I've wanted to get rid of in some way. If you can say, hey, I didn't sell them to slaves and then tell my dad that they were dead for 25 years, you're definitely winning in that regard. <laughs> so good job, whoever hasn't done that. If you have, don't tell me. I don't want to know about it. Just, just, we'll, we'll just won't mention that. We'll just keep that one down. Um, and, and that's the generation. That's the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. That's, that's it. There we see. We see that pattern, the four generations of, of not dealing with sin and how that's affected them. And uh, as I said, like, I've also had things that I've dealt with in, in regards to that. Uh, one of the things in my own family is dad's abandoning. Um, that was definitely something that was hard for me. It's like, don't cry and don't, um, <laughs> don't throw up. Those are my two goals today. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, okay, so I know I got to like throw some light stuff in there. It's very serious. I, I know it'll, it'll, it'll get better. I promise it'll be more light. Um, but, uh, dealing with, with a dad that wasn't present, even though he was at home. And that's a very real thing in our lives. We see that Clint talked about that a couple weeks ago, about that the boy in our community that is addicted to cocaine, I think it is, and because his parents are. And just, there again, is a great example. And it's like, we just see these things. And my, my grandfather um, left my grandmother and my dad when he was six months old. Just walked away. Now, they told us that he died, but I don't think it's true because of all the stuff that has come from that in our family. I believe that he walked away. And for me, I obviously, my children are all upstairs. I haven't walked away. But what I did was swing the pendulum so far the other way that I became an overbearing parent. And that, that's just as bad to become so demanding and overbearing that you're not actually giving your family what they need. And God's been dealing with me on that and helping me to work through that stuff. And that's, um, that's something that we really, in our, in our lives, we, we really need to, to look at. And that's, that's the part of, of looking back, right? We're looking back to go forward. So that's the part about looking, looking back. And, and that pretty well covers the the first half of this verse where we can see that the generational sin of the disobedience. But my absolute favorite part of this scripture is the word but. And that's no pun intended there. Because in this scripture, that is a hinge point. That's hope. And you could really say in this, you could say, but God. But God does something else. And he does. He's done it in me. I'm, I know he's doing it in our church, in our community. I, I know that there's, there's things that God's wanting to do. And so when, just can, you know, this dreary point here of bad sin, hope is but God. But God will do something, but we have to be obedient. Um, there's a value to looking back that we 
we need to, to recognize because it's hard. <laughs> he even says it in the book. He talks about that he's like, looking at the past will be something that will illuminate the present. But it's going to be really difficult. And I know that personally. I, I'm just turned 40 last year, and I'm still dealing with stuff that happened when I was a preteen and a kid because it's difficult, and it, it takes work, and it takes effort. But God. And all the family issues that we saw in Genesis are easy to be like, okay, that was somebody else, but just look at last week <laughs> for yourself. Anybody have a thing that they're like, oh, why do I do that? Why did I act like that? Why did I respond like that? That's the point of looking back, is not to, to go there and be like, oh, such an idiot. No, it's look back so that God can, can illuminate things to you because he wants to. He wants to move us forward. And I had to ask myself a few times, is it really worth the effort? Um, my parents chose no to that question. When, when faced with that, I was raised in another four-square church here in the Lower Mainland, and that's where my parents started going. And I distinctly recall multiple opportunities where a pastor would be like, look, there's things that needs to be worked out. Are you willing to, to do that? And their answer was no. Just by their actions, by their attitudes, it was no. So the value that we have of looking back is that, is that there's, there's a, something that God wants to give to our families and wants to change our families into. And the answer is yes, it is definitely worth it. Um, in this book, he uh, lays out five levels of different families that are represented. He calls them like the, the five different levels of health, he says. Um, it's called the Beaver System Model. I don't really know what that is, but um, I'm going to read through them because I feel like they are really just super clear as to what the, the different kind of options of where we, we are as families can be. Um, so it says level five is the family in pain. And this is a severely disturbed family. Real relationship is totally lacking. Chaos, uncertainty, confusion, and turmoil are the adjectives that describe these homes. Conflicts are never dealt with or resolved, and there is no ability to look at issues with clarity. That's pretty hopeless. That kind of sounds like Abraham's family, just very dysfunctional. Um, a level four family, which is very much the family I grew up in, uh, is a polarized family. Instead of anar the anarchy of level five, a dictatorship rules here. Instead of no rules, this home has nothing but black and white rules. There are rigid ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving that are expected of all members. Individuals cannot say, I disagree with what you said. And that's a pretty crappy way to go through life. In fact, for me growing up, I didn't think that anything was wrong with this. This was normal. As I learned in psychology, in grade 12, normal is just 51% of the room. So I was like, that's amazing. That means I can just get out of the room and be normal in a different way. 
That was such a, there's a huge sigh of relief in grade 12 for me on that one. Um, and for me growing up in this home, I, I improved. I definitely, I definitely improved. I was a level three family when I started mine. Uh, and that says it's a rules-bound family. This family is not in chaos or under a dictatorship. It's healthier than level four, feeling loved and good about oneself, however, depends on obeying the spoken and unspoken rules of the family. If you love me, you'll do all the things you know will meet my approval. There's an invisible referee with, rules of, with the rules of the system being more important than the individual. A subtle level of manipulation, intimidation, and guilt permeates the home. I'm sad to say that that was how my kids were raised for probably the last, or the first, I should say, 10 years. I've been a parent for almost 12 now. And I thought it was an improvement, and it was. And I, I remember even having this conversation with God and saying, I'm better than my dad. And he's like, that is not a high enough standard. He's like, that is such a low bar to cross. He's like, you can do better. And I believe that, that we can all do better. And that, that's the point, is that we can do better because God has more for us. That is so, like... If I can say anything, that's the huge point, is God wants to make our families better. He wants to make us better. And he merges levels two and one. He says it's the ad, um, adequate family and the optimal family. In these families, there is an ability to be flexible and to cherish each individual member while at the same time valuing a sense of closeness. Good feelings, trust, and teamwork by the parents enable members to work through difficulties and conflicts. What distinguishes level two families from level one families can be summed up in one word. Delight. Anybody delight in all of their family? <laughs> My hand is down. <laughs> this morning was a good morning. Even without Nicole here, I was like, God, you were so merciful. They just listened and did their stuff, and we were early, and I was like, this is evidence we can get here on time. <laughs> like, yes, today we were a level two family. And I feel sometimes like a little bit of a ping pong ball because I go back, oh, level three raising, oh, level two raising, oh, back and forth, and it's like, God, what is wrong with me? And he's like, you just gotta keep going, man. You gotta keep letting me deal with the things that are needing to be dealt with in you. And that's something that is, is so amazing about God, is he doesn't look at you and say, you suck today. Like, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say that, but I did. But he doesn't say that to us. And reading these things, I feel like, and he'd say, like, there's not condemnation by noticing your family of current origin is, sorry, of origin or of currency is, is, the, uh, is something you don't like. And he actually asks you to ask a question. He says, which of these five categories best describes my experience growing up? And I would add, ask yourself, which one of them describes my family now? And I think that's a big question to ask yourself. 
and how does my family of origin still impact me today? What are the areas I need to intentionally work out in order to move forward in Christ? Example being boundaries, dealing with conflict, or intimacy. Asking yourself those questions can be scary, but it's freeing. Because once you finally see it, like you said, the past illuminates the present, and you're illuminated to it, then you can change. And that's a good thing. And I think that the value of looking back can be summarized with that word delight. Because who doesn't want to have their in-laws come over and just be delighted about it? Like Clint put on the email, he was out with his family uh, for a 97th, I think he said it was, birthday for his grandmother. That's a delight, hopefully. (laughs) My in-laws left their trailer in my front yard over the summer. That's a delight. So when they come over, they are much more delightful because they can go to their own space. <laughs> this is the system we've created in our family. It's better if you just bring the trailer than you can just go when you're done with the kids. <laughs> but it's, it's learning, honestly, because I used to get super mad. And my father-in-law used to get super mad. We used to get on each other's nerves. And it's like, how do we solve this? It's like, put a trailer in my yard. Like, you have your own space and we can become a healthier family. we got finding some tools with that. Um... And the value of looking back is that we can become people who are what that scripture said. We're bringing the blessing. Because I know for myself that there are things that I've already passed on to my kids that I don't like. But I know that there are things that I passed on to them that is just amazing. Um, Just an example is that... um, from when I was about nine or ten, I loved listening to the Bible. I listened to it on cassettes. That's how old I am. And my son, Ezra, loves listening to it now, and he'll just grab the Bible app on like a device in our house, and he'll just put it on and listen to it. He'll put a timer on for like two hours, listen to it when he goes to sleep. And that's what I did when I was a kid. And that's something that I passed on without even knowing it. Because... That's, that's the promise. That's the promise. That's, that's the value. And we can see that even Abraham, as much as we looked back at his family and it's like, wow, there was some really bad stuff. The war that we continue to see in Palestine and with Israel and all the conflict that's been going on for generations, what we got out of it, the blessing we got out of it was Jesus. Because Jesus is from Abraham's family. And that was God's promise too. And those are in tandem, that, that God is, is going to bring blessing as well as us bringing our own stuff right beside us, right in, in tandem with that. He is going to bring his, his ways and his will through no matter what we can do. Um, one of the things that I, I struggled with was especially going through all of this, like, 20 years of, of journeying, <laughs> is how to go back and not get stuck. Because I, I think it's a really easy thing for us to, to get stuck when we go back and look at all of the, the craziness and the, the crap. It's just as easy to ignore it. 
we saw how that didn't work out for Abraham and <laughs> didn't work out for my dad and mom. But I've been learning how to go back in a way that helps me to not get stuck back there, but to allow God to actually pull me forward. So when I was growing up, I um, went to a wonderful church and the pastor loved me amazingly well as the broken kid, but he used to always say to me, stop looking in the rearview mirror. And I did not get that. I was like, you're so judgmental. You don't understand. He used to literally say I was raised in white picket fence land. So I was like, you don't get it, man. But what I didn't realize, and I figured out years later, was that what he meant was, don't go back. Keep looking back with blame and shame in mind. Don't go back looking to blame someone. Don't go back looking to be like, it's my dad's fault. It's my grandma's fault. Look what they did to me. It's my mom's fault. It's my uncle's fault. Whatever your story is, somewhere in there is someone who did something to you or didn't do something for you. And you can't go back there and blame them. It's not going to move you forward. It's not going to help you. The other thing to not do is to go back and shame. Shame yourself. Should have been better Christian. Should have done something about that. Pastor Tom, who <laughs> preached the first one on this, um, when I saw him as a counselor oh, probably six years ago, I said the word should in front of him, and he was like, I'm going to stop you right there. He's like, don't shit on yourself. <laughs> don't let anybody else shit on you. And don't shit on yourself. And I was like, I really love that line. And I'm really not sure that you're allowed to say that in some, some settings, Tom. But it's true. We, we can't do that to ourselves. We can't be like, all we got to do is be like, okay, God, how do I move forward today? Because that's shame. That's just shaming yourself when you tell yourself that you should have done something. Because it doesn't help. It's not moving you forward. It's not giving you any tools to be able to move forward. Looking back to look, or to move forward, I, I think is, is also really summarized beautifully in the parable of the sower. This is my absolute favorite parable in the entire Bible. Because for this, it talks about how we need to break up the ground, we need to remove the weeds, and we need to remove the rocks. And the weeds, Jesus tells us, are things that are distracting us. They're things that are choking the life out of us. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Some things in your life and in my life that are choking me from growing? Heck yeah. Or how about the rocks? Jesus says that those things are keeping us shallow. Anybody have anything that they've been like, I can't get past that to grow deeper in my relationship with this person or with God? There are rocks and there are weeds that are in us, in our lives, that God wants to remove. And he's faithful to do that. But going back to it, it's not easy. In fact, um, <clears throat> before I started dating when I was like 15 
when my mom was on a track of growing and healing, she said to me, there's not a better time in your life to do this. She says, you have zero motivation, but all the time in the world. And I really wish I had pressed in more then because it's when I started dating Nicole that stuff started to come up. And then when I became a parent, that more stuff began to come up. And it was in those two times that I started going to counseling for those exact seasons because of that. And it's not easy, but it's necessary. And I think one of the things that we, we as Christians, we, we don't do well is we don't, we don't take the time to do whatever God's asking us to do because we're so busy being Christians. <laughs> and you think, oh, I'll just, you know, I got Jesus, I'm good. No, that's the starting point. Getting Jesus is, that's just, now you're able to do stuff. Now you're able to move in grace and in truth and have peace and have that fruit of the Spirit in your life. And I think it was last year, Clint talked about times of solitude. And it really hit me. I was like, I don't do that enough. I do not do that enough. I need to do that more. And I started doing that maybe six or seven months ago. Um, I get up an hour before I have to leave the house for work. And I just sit and I pray and I listen and I journal. And it's been amazing. Because, and I created that pattern, that, that, that place where God can meet with me, that that's been a huge change in my days. And honestly, like, I can't, <laughs> I can't properly describe to you how crappy my kids' lives were before I started to deal with this stuff because they would do things and I would yell at them. And if you heard my testimony in December, that's part of it. Like I just, I would lose it on them. And last night, my son woke up and he was like getting out of bed, the youngest. And I'm like, dude, you gotta go back to bed. You gotta stay in here. I'm like in there sling with him. And the Holy Spirit said, I want you to remember this moment, how you are today. That is a testimony. That's a testimony. And it's not because I'm so good, I'm an amazing Christian that I get up at five in the morning when I don't have to. It's because I'm desperate. I am desperate for God to meet with me in the morning and for me to be in his presence so that he can change me for the day so that I can love my coworkers when I don't want to be there. And I can love my kids when I just prefer to send them to their room till they're 25. <laughs> we have a basement for a reason, right? Get down there and I'm locking the door. We'll send food through the cat door. You'll be fine. There's a bathroom. <laughs> but I think that one of the things that um, if I could encourage you to do is to, to create that time, create that space for God really dig into that. And 
Clint would, when he talked about this, he had said, you need like daily, you need extended times, you need like to go away for like a day or in a weekend. I don't know what the feasibility of that is for you. We have a lot of like open country here. I don't know if you're a backpacker, just, I know Jacob's always like, hey, let's go like on Dudney uh, Mountain and we'll just like go make a fire. I'm like, yes, like show me a trail, man, so I can like just go off by myself with some bear mace. And some other friends that are like, I'll lend you a gun because you're going to need it if you go too far, buddy. <laughs> but we got to do it. We got to go sit at Starbucks, put the headphones in. We got to have that solitude time. That, that's going to help you to have that time of God being able to take you to your past to move you forward to what his future is for you. Another big thing that we can do in Parkside, thank you, Clint, for doing all the things that, that you do and providing for us as a church because we have, we have programs here. We celebrate recovery on Wednesdays. That's a great opportunity. I personally have not been to one. Not because they're not amazing. Just don't have one that's open. But I know people. People, Carly and Greg, they spoke, they gave their testimony a little couple weeks ago maybe about things that God had been doing. Clearly, God's doing something there. He's taking them into their past so that they can move forward. We just had our set-free retreat. If you were at, your, at the set-free retreat, you know it was amazing. You know God did stuff. We have another one, I believe, coming up in November. Is that correct? That was what was on the schedule, so I just wrote that down. But don't just think about coming. Commit to coming. Do whatever it takes because these are the kinds of things that will help us to be able to go back, to move forward, to become the people that God wants us to be, to take, to take it back to this scripture, to be a, a people who bring the blessing to a thousand generations of our families. And we have men's groups Monday. We had an announcement about that. I know there's been people that have been connected to that. Ron keeps emailing me along with everybody else. It's like 30 guys, 25. It's like the numbers keep growing because these guys are hungry. They want what God's doing. Women's ministry has stuff. Get involved because when we're connected, we grow. That's actually one of the things that Jesus says about himself. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. We don't grow outside of that connection, not just to Jesus, but to each other. That's what the church is. And sometimes it's like, oh, it's a little unfortunate. I've got to be connected to all these crazy people. But that's how God set it up. You get to be connected to this crazy person up here too, by the way, if you're a part of this church. <laughs> Chad's like, oh, great. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but... That's the beauty of the church. When we're connected, we grow. And I don't know if you know this, we actually have an in-house counselor, Tom. Maybe it's something that you need to do like that. I freely admit with pride, I've been seeing a counselor for six months. My relationship with Tom is a friendship relationship now, so I found someone that he helped me to find, but I would have gone back to him in a heartbeat. That's what I needed to do. And going back to these levels of family, it's the last six months that have propelled us toward level one family. 
because I was able to see things that I never saw before. And that might be what you need to do. But I believe that it's, it's some or all of these things that we need to do as individuals to not be afraid to do them. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want my sins to be laid upon my children and my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, and I don't want them to just pass that on generation to generation. I want the lavish, unfailing love of God to be poured out for generations, thousands from me. And I, I hope that that's what God has been stirring in you. And I believe that, um, that God wants to do that in our church. And I think that's why we're doing all the things we're doing. And I have no idea how long that was, but that's me. That's it. I'm done. And I'm just going to pray. But uh, I just want to thank you all for this opportunity. So God, I just thank you so much for the fact that you are giving us a future. You're giving us hope. Your, your plan for us is big. It's, it's beyond our belief. And I just pray, God, that you would do what you want to do in and through us, in our church, in our lives, to make our families a delight to be in and for us to be a part of them. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>